Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to 6-8. Glad you're here online with us uh, or you're watching later, if that's the case. Um, and uh, especially if you're new to us, we would really love to hear from you. You can write me at jason at 68.org and just uh, ask any question you'd like, you know. Um, but anyway, just a few announcements before we get started. Uh, parents, uh, if you're not getting emails from Kim, you should be on the list. So just write admin at 68.org and get placed in the system, and you'll get uh, weekly emails from Kim about uh, child, uh, your children's um, curriculum stuff for every Sunday. And then uh, also we have uh, spiritual mentors that we announce every week. So if you're looking for somebody to help you understand how the you know, kind of listen with you to where the Holy Spirit's leading you in life, or if you need uh, creative ideas for, you know, your quiet times and how to connect with the Lord and all that kind of stuff, uh, just email spiritualmentors at 68.org. And that goes to Rob Schaefer, and Rob Schaefer will get you connected. If you're a woman, he'll connect you with a woman. If you're a man, he'll connect you with a man. And we have a number of different people in the church trained for that. Uh, also, and lastly, and I know this is redundant, we keep saying it every week, but it, we still have a few people that are uh, giving through Simple Give, and we need that to get shut down. That is our old giving portal that is still operational, but we're going to be shutting it down, and we need you to move it over to Breeze, which is our new church management software with a, a giving portal built into it. And um, all the directions are on the giving page on the website. Uh, just uh, go ahead and go to that site and uh, that page and on our website, and you you can get the directions. There's also directions there for our new text to give option. Uh, I think Venmo is there's directions on how to use Venmo to give, and there's also directions on how to send us a check. So um, anyway, that's all the announcements. Uh, you can be praying for me and the pastoral council today. We're meeting today to talk about uh, our a hopeful date for, uh, you know, reopening. Uh, I know we had one and then it got pushed back. Um, praise God. We can, uh, you know, get this done at some point, you know, but, um, just, uh, be praying for us in our decision-making process. Uh, also be praying for, uh, Kathleen, um, uh, Lebed. She is going to be, uh, uh, moving uh, into the admin role. Jordan is going to step back from that role. And, uh, and you know, Jordan is training Kathleen and, you know, really, gosh, Jordan could, could not have done a better job with this job and she's just uh, ready to give it up. <laughs> so, and I don't blame her, but um, Kathleen's going to be taking over that role. So just pray for Kathleen and Jordan as that training goes on throughout this month. And then we start up in the fall. Uh, with Kathleen in the admin position. Um, so if you start getting uh, emails from Kathleen instead of Jordan, that's that's just part of the process that we're going through. So um, let me pray before we get started. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, just all that you blessed us with as we see out in creation. Uh, the, this wonderful creative world that you've, you've blessed us with, that you've placed us in. We praise you for how you've created us and what you've created us to be. And we praise you that you pursue us even when we fall away 
and that you love us enough to come into our reality and die on the cross and suffer death and, and be buried and raised again so that we can have that open door once again to be reconciled with you. Uh, we thank you for all the teaching that we get from your scriptures. We thank you for all the guidance we get from your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the love that we experience and the, and the guidance and the fellowship and the wisdom that we get in church life and, and uh, in our relationships with each other. And we just pray that this message and all of this life of the gospel can go out to more and more people around us. So we pray that you would teach us and train us in that way. Uh, and, and help us to quicken our minds and our thinking as we uh, face some very real difficult issues in our society today, and we live in that, and so we have to be prepared for it. And we thank you for that. In Christ, and we pray. Amen. So um, just again, qualifier, we are... Um, we are in some unique times in our country, and uh, I don't think anybody can deny that. And uh, I, I think part of me feels right now that we, we need to be really thinking about where we are, who we are, as compared to the sort of thought life of the world around us, the, the other people in the, in the world and the society and culture and everything and where we're going. And so um, let's just be praying about uh, our own response to all that stuff. And, and today is a, is a, a sermon, which I think lends itself to that. So uh, listen well. And if you have questions, please email me. Uh, but we've been ending most of these sermons with sort of a, a, a statement uh, there was one that we didn't end a statement with because it was like sort of a continuation of the week before. But um, today I want to begin with the statement, all right? And this is the statement I want to say. We affirm all men and women are uniquely created in the image of God with equal dignity and worth. God shows no partiality based on our ethnicity. Therefore, we vehemently deny any worldview that sinfully sinfully denigrates any language, tribe, nation, or people group in individual or collective value. This value is intrinsic, and that's a very key word, intrinsic to all humanity, and not based upon whether one is a Christian or American. Now, why do we say this? And uh, we say this because it's necessary in this current social climate to define the Christian worldview as it originates and is defined by God's word. Since these truths of, of humankind and people are, are, are all throughout Scripture, and it begins uh, in very familiar verses in chapter 1 of Genesis. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That's a really important point. And then verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. He says that twice there, right? Male and female, he created them. So this informs us as Christians, right? Christians basing their beliefs and their values on Scripture, believing this to be the Word of God, realize a few things about the human race. The first is stated right here, that we're all created in the image of God, all peoples, languages, nations, and ethnicities. The human race as descended from Adam and Eve in diversity, created in the image of God, right? All, all with the divine stamp, which brings their intrinsic value to them. And then we, we get that intrinsic value no, from no other place other than how God has created us, uh, you know, in light of who he is. And this is how we allow Scripture, God's Word, to define our worldview of ourselves and of others, right? 
Now, this divine image was so important that God even says later, he says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So we can say that if you kill or denigrate a human being, you kill or denigrate something very special, something uniquely different than all other created beings out there in the world, right? But last week we said we deny that ethnicity is unimportant or that our goal is to become colorblind and ignoring race altogether. We don't want to do that. Now, I'm not a fan of Bill Nye, the science guy. Um, if you know me, you know that. I, I'm just not a big fan. But he, he did a recent video outlining how the human race came out of Africa and spread across the world, and in that, that we had certain changes occur in our physical makeup to adjust to the various environments that we found ourselves in. And what he was saying was that we are all the same species. He, he used that word, species, right? Um, somebody is connected here. That is... Uh, Sorry, I'm. I'm. Uh... I can't do it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Masseys. They're connected <laughs> through my account. Um. So, uh, the human race, right? So he's saying that we're all the same species. That we're all the human race, right? You know, maybe Bill will one day accept the creation account in Genesis, but that would be absolutely a true miracle <laughs> to see that happen. So. Uh, As we said last week, we've always believed that distinct cultures, colors, and languages of God's multi-ethnic church are both redeemed by the blood of Christ and preserved as such into eternity. Since this is God's will, you know, uh, for all the peoples of the world, we aim to be a growing multi-ethnic congregation representing the future kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. But our ultimate identity as Christians is most deeply rooted, not in our ethnicity or national identity, but in our union together as one in the global body of Christ, you know, in in our place with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you know this name, but Robin DiAngelo, author of White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism, she claims, which is a very influential book right now, But she claims that we as religious people say spiritually that we're all the same. All peoples are the same, right? And although she might agree with that uh, to be true, she doesn't see us operating in the spiritual realm or out of the spiritual realm. So she can't begin with that standpoint. Now, this is something that with which I would strongly disagree with Robin D'Angelo on, because everything is spiritual, everything. And we have to begin, and our physical reality is spiritual, right? And we have to begin with the conviction that everyone is, is an equal valued creation of God, physically and spiritually, or, or we would never uh, value other ethnic groups as such. Our initial view of humanity is a very deep spiritual issue with very real practical implications in this world. So she draws a line between the natural world and the spiritual world. And if you've ever heard me speak about it, I quoted Francis Schaeffer in many sermons where he called that the line between nature and grace. But Christians, and Francis Schaeffer agrees, he agreed, he's no longer with us, but uh, Christians can't separate 
our physical reality from our spiritual reality. They, we are embodied spiritual beings made in the image of God, and that is a very, very important point. Now, she also claims that due to socialization, that we are incapable of being taught to view everyone with equal value. And again, in light of Scripture, how Scripture teaches, I would agree. Although she says that she can teach us, I think, right? So it doesn't really make sense what she's saying. Remember, by saying that we're all one in the eyes of God, that is not to deny diversity among peoples. Christians are uh, see ethnicity as very important, and our, and our goal is not to be colorblind. It's, it's not to ignore, uh, ignore uh, the different people groups of the world altogether. You know, she sets up an ab- atmosphere through her writing and speaking. With all due respect, she sets up this atmosphere through her writing and speaking that operates out of critical theory in which those who are viewed in power can't defend themselves since, in her view, those in power of, are incapable, due to implicit bias, to understand the plight of other peoples, of, of minorities, or what she would say is the oppressed. Implicit bias is defined as the unconscious uh, attribution of particular qualities by an individual to a member of some other outside social group. And her teaching, I think, is very nihilistic. It puts us in a very nihilistic position, and I, I, I just think we can't move in it, right? She claims our family upbringing can't teach us equal value among all peoples, whereas the Christian sees the nuclear family as the place where socialization and value development happen most strongly, actually, right? But there's a push to demolish the traditional nuclear family in our current social narrative. If you have not noticed that push, it is becoming stronger and stronger, and you really do need to be aware of it. And I think it is extremely damaging. So apparently she, and again, with all due respect, it seems that she is the only one that can teach us since she is the new Gnostic. She's the new intellectual elite that understands this, whereas we don't, right? Again, like we said two weeks ago, critical theory says that the oppressed are considered absolutely innocent, totally right, and the oppressor is nothing but wrong, and it shuts down all conversation and denies very real complicated issues that are involved on both sides. The hands of the, those perceived to be in power are tied, they can't engage, and their only choice is to enter some sort of a Social purgatory, right? Suffering for their perceived wrongness until they become the new enlightened beings through the lens of critical theory and intersectionality as we sit at the feet of our new socially acceptable prophets like Robin D'Angelo. You know, she's a nice lady. You know, I liked her. She was a good speaker, a nice lady, but I believe her to be reckless and grossly misguided, and her views are doing a lot of damage on our society today. But, you know, she would say, I'm a white guy swimming in my implicit bias, so what do I know? Well, my answer to that would be, white, black, whatever I am, I'd say, I know Jesus I know scripture, and on this solid rock I stand, being transformed by the renewing of my mind and not conforming to the patterns of of this world, the patterns of our society, the winds of teaching of our society, as I submit myself to Christ. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And that is my true belief about who I am and who you are in Christ. Now, secondly, Genesis chapter 1 
informs us on the issue of gender as well, that God made humanity male and female, that gender's very tied or is totally tied to our biological makeup, that the two, the two genders have very distinct differences and, and uniquely reflect God in their own way. And in coming together in marriage, they make up even a more complete image of God and his people in relationship to him. Scripture in no way gives room and speaks against defining our sexuality, divorced from our biological makeup. It just doesn't. And it claims physical and social unions outside of what God deems healthy and good as damaging to the human race uh, that is created in his image and created to reflect him in all ways. So I know that's a deeply unpopular point in our culture today, but it is what the Bible teaches, and this is where our church stands. And we have to say it. Thirdly, we realize that Scripture says, as in the creation account, part of which we read at the beginning of this sermon, but very clearly stated in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that humanity can understand and see God in creation. It says, since... uh, uh, Romans one twenty says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. So in part, we can understand God from the surrounding world, and, and, and we are responsible with that knowledge to glorify him with it, right? But fourthly, this is also balanced with Christians uh, maturely allowing verses like Jeremiah 17.9 to also inform our self-image, right? Which says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it, right? Wisely, we don't fully trust our own understanding uh, due to our sinful nature, uh, bringing about this need for God's detailed moral standard, his detailed law that he's given to us in the scriptures to be revealed uh, to us in the word, right? And, and how important it is for us to hold fast to scripture in unity to attain to God's call of purity and, purity and holiness as one body. Since without it, we are very easily dragged away and enticed by our own desires, or we are tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching out there in our society. And so this tells us that concerning our view of other peoples, all of this tells us that concerning our view of of all peoples, that we first and foremost regard them as God's creation, made in his image with absolute intrinsic value, and that we can be taught to do so if our thinking is at all misguided, right? The best place for that to happen is within the nuclear Christian family, which is also bolstered and supported by the local church. It says that although we can derive some things about God and people from creation, we need God to define our values, our morals, and our purpose, among other things, more clearly. Since we we are prone, we are very prone to being tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and without the solidity of scriptural guidance. And this includes ideologies right now that we are facing, which sound good by usurping spiritual language, language of justice, language of fairness, and all that stuff, but advocating for things that are actually counter to God's leading. And we've addressed some of these things over the past few weeks, and we'll continue to do so at some level. 
You know, uh, history can be very deceptive, and as a result, right now what we're seeing is that Christianity has become very suspect in the eyes of many people in our, in our uh, country and in the world, I would say. You know, the Smithsonian Institute, you may have heard about this, recently came out with a list of aspects of white culture, in con- but in context, it suggests that these attributes are indicative of, uh, of values of white supremacy. Notice, though, you have to notice, though, right now that white supremacy and racism have been redefined in our current cultural narrative. They're not what they used to be. As a matter of fact, white supremacy is replacing the term racism in society right now because it seemed to have a, have a more comprehensive covering of things like implicit bias and white privilege. And the thought is that the term racism is too linked to an individual or individual racist acts, and it's harder to get people to think about their implicit bias as a group. Now, so the Smithsonian said that things like hard work, individualism, the nuclear family, independence, uh, objective, rational, linear thinking – uh, a hard work ethic, the, the scientific method, re- respect for authority, history, delayed gratification, planning for the future, the value of time, the Protestant work ethic, religion, and specifically the Christian religion, uh, uh, our legal system, uh, system and decision-making and more are now basically marks of whiteness in the context of, of white supremacy. Now, thankfully, there was a lot of pushback on this list, and they had to retract, but their thinking flowered out of the garden of critical theory, and it is fertilized by words of people like Robin D'Angelo, and that is what we're facing right now. So apparently, if I counsel somebody in my church to seek delayed gratification for your spiritual development, your spiritual formation, or to work hard, or, or to think about the future and plan for the future, I am being a white supremacist, or I'm, I'm revealing my white supremacy. Although I believe those to be very healthy biblical practices and values. But remember, Christianity itself was on the Smithsonian's list. Now we have the New York Times Magazine, as you've probably heard, has instituted the 1619 Project, which I get. I get why these things come about. I understand it, and many of it is for a good reason, to become more aware of how we developed and the things that we need to address. But it claims that our country was based on a slave – established as a slaveocracy, the one one article – uh, coined that word, uh, with the Constitution written as a reinforcement to prop up that evil. You know, so revisionist history, right, and a denial of good words that all people were created equal in our Constitution, which although hasn't always been followed well by some people, it still stands as true no matter what, no matter what individuals have done. Right now, it seems that the Smithsonian would suggest that Christians, as a whole group, are downright complicit in this development of a of a slaveocracy across the board, and even guard it today, which I think is very unfair and honestly absolutely absurd. There may have been people in the past, or or, or now even, who claim to be Christians practicing widespread racist acts or attitudes or systematic racism, but to say Christianity as a group is implicit flies right in the face of Scripture, of its teaching, 
We cannot denounce Christians or Christianity as a group. Rather, we look at the belief system of Christianity and we judge individuals on their practice of it, right? Being aware that not everybody claiming to be of Christ is of Christ, nor is everyone on the same level of spiritual maturity in their walks. We're all learning, we're all growing, we're all being transformed, and at times we are in need of correction, and we are in need of divine conviction in our hearts. You know, we've all seen the horrific pictures of our fellow human beings being hung in towns in, in America way back when, or videos of people being beaten and hosed down during the peaceful civil rights movement of the 1960s, or the more recent video of George Floyd, and none of us. I have not met a soul that would agree with those things. I just wouldn't, right? The problem with looking at those things through this current social lens of critical theory is that we tend to make assumptions on whole groups. Assumptions are being drawn right now that whiteness means Christians as a group agreed, sometimes participated, or that we guard systems of inequality to keep others down now. And we are certainly, I, I think, through all this, being blown and tossed by every wind of teaching. It views Christianity as progressive in nature. Now, this is really important. It views Christianity as progressive in nature that we were stupid way back then, right? When the Bible was written or whatever, that we have grown some, but that we still have a long way to grow. grow or go, right? You know, Christianity, let me say, state this very plainly and clearly. Christianity is not progressive in nature. The Bible was written thousands of years ago. It has not, and it cannot change. It is the Word of God, and it begins and ends with all people valued as God's creation. It is philosophically impossible to think that during large sections of history, Christians as a whole group just didn't get it. And even if that could be true, Christianity as a theological construct has always equally valued all peoples, all ethnic groups. So viewing those images and videos in that way through that critical theory lens lens, gives no room for the nameless person or the nameless groups of people in those photographs or videos from decades ago standing on the sidelines who did, did not agree or either did something about it privately or felt very powerless themselves in such a violent instance where they couldn't act and they couldn't speak out. You know, we tend to think that we would do the right thing always, but I don't know. Many of us prove to be cowards in the end, right? And so we end up judging hearts from a, from a distance of time and history without realizing that Christianity has always held a, upheld life and equality from the Scriptures and that mature Christians have always understood this and have always acted on it in one, some way, shape, or form. People like Corey Ten Boom who came to the aid of Jewish people saving lives, Christians who provided freedom for slaves in the Underground Railroad, or Christians who took in babies discarded into the trash heaps of the Roman Empire, raising those children on their own, or the fact that when I sit in training rooms for foster care and adoption, those rooms are populated by Christian families there to adopt and take in kids, usually of ethnicity, any ethnicity, to give them a chance at life. 
And it's not that non-Christians don't adopt, but there is a great imbalance in favor of Christians in that area due to our worldview, due to how much we do care about other people. The website adoption.org claims that twice as many Christians adopt children and that 38% of Christians have seriously considered it, which is greatly higher than non-Christians, almost double. And and many of those adoptions are across ethnic or cultural lines. You can't tell me that Christians don't care, that Christians don't value other people. That, but that is the current, current cultural narrative. You know, it's anti-Christian sentiments have always contended that Christian mission, cross-cultural mission, overseas mission, if you want to call it that, is just another form of imperialism or colonialism where we go over there and we seek to take over and erase cultures to make them just like us. Well, as a former cross-cultural missionary with almost a decade on the field, I can say nothing could be farther from the truth. You may not realize Christian missionaries work very hard to respect local culture and custom and, and to only bring Jesus to other peoples because we believe wholeheartedly that God created everyone, and he wants us all to live, have a full life with him, and he glories in the diversity that he created. And so we we believe the human race originates from God, and ultimately to whom we return as his beloved creation, hence the unified vision of the multi-ethnic church that we see in the picture of Revelation 7, 9 through 10, and we looked at in the past few weeks. You know, you may not, you may not have ever heard of the term contextualization, but it's a concept with which Christian missionaries constantly struggle, constantly wrestle. It, it asks the question, how do we package or how do we contextualize the gospel in verbiage and in form, uh, to other people groups in order that, that it's understood by them and, and, and that it's it's only that that we bring to them, and we honor all the God-given diversity within those people groups. Missionaries seek to work with local populations when they see a group of people coming to Christ by asking them, what do you have to throw out, what do you have to keep, and what needs to be changed of your culture in order to walk with Christ? And by the way, we do that with our own culture as well, don't we? So if a culture practiced child sacrifice or temple prostitution or subjugation of women, we would address those things in that culture which need to be changed or thrown out. But certain styles of dress or worship or language or foods and things like that are typically innocuous things and they can be kept. Or maybe we take a, 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 a rite of passage, a form of rite of passage, and we, we, we give it Christian meaning, but we still keep the form. You know, we usually find in those instances with uh, with other peoples that in cultures coming to Christ, typically they would go farther in throwing out and changing their forms of their culture more than the missionary would, since they really do know the deeper meaning of them, and they don't want to compromise their walk with Christ uh, at all. You know, it honors the cultural differences while bringing life to peoples in Christ, embracing him from within their own culture. You know, Christian missionaries have a, have a great appreciation for their host cultures. They're excited about the food. They wear the clothing. They talk favorably, favorably about the cultural practices, and they learn the languages. They seek to preserve the culture while bringing Christ to these peoples. You know, Hudson Taylor 
the founder of China Inland Mission, assimilated to the point in China of growing a very long braided ponytail and shaving his forehead, like right up here, all this, and adopting Chinese dress to show appreciation and to be able to communicate the gospel. And it was appreciated. He and his wife even adopted Chinese children and raised them as their own. You know, in my area of work in Southeast Asia, We did much of the same as we wrangled over forms of worship and dress and language and the like and in order to bring the gospel in a respective way to the people group that we served. But no matter what we do, somebody's going to call it cultural appropriation or somebody's going to blame us for colonialism or imperialism since they don't have the same view of the world through a Christian worldview, which says that God created all these peoples, he loves all these peoples, and he seeks to draw them back into relationship and to preserve them forever. But Christians stand proudly and, and strongly with Paul, with what Paul said in Romans 1.16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then to the Gentile. And you remember Gentile just means all non-Jewish ethnic groups, all non-Jewish nations, right? And Paul did this in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28, as he contextualized the gospel through the, through the, the poets of Greeks on Mars Hill. He expressed the gospel to them when he said this. He said, from one man, listen to this, he's saying exactly what we're saying, from one man, he, God, right, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole world, so he is sovereign over them, right? And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So they were able to hear the gospel that day more easily since Paul showed respect and used a cultural uh, point of their own to clarify the gospel. It's a great story. I've preached on that whole passage before, and I love it. But Peter also learned a, a lesson on how God values all people back in Acts chapter 10 when he was called in a vision, if you remember the story, to visit a Gentile home and while there to eat whatever was before him, right? Which he considered at the time to be a, a wrong thing to do, to go into a Gentile home or to eat some of the foods that he would be served. But he was obedient to the Lord and, and, that, and he went and he did so. And at that time he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but except from every nation, every people group, the one who fears him, right? So we do have lessons to learn. We're not saying that, right? We, we always have lessons to learn, but we can learn them. This is not a nihilistic adve- uh, 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 endeavor, right? We can learn them. Right? There's always hope in the gospel, and we can learn them best through our unified Christian nuclear families, You know, our assimilation of God's word into our hearts and minds under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and in shared unity with the church. So here, here's, here's what we need to say. Now is the time for us to focus 
right? That word focus has become really important to me in the past couple weeks. Somebody uh, praying for our church has heard that word for us. And I think that might just be the word that we're going to lock on to. But now is the time for us to focus, to get serious about our walk with Christ, much more serious than we've ever been in our lives, to not be blown and tossed by every wind of teaching. And sometimes that means to understand the winds of teaching, which I'm trying to do in some of these sermons to not be dragged away and enticed by our desires. And so we place ourselves under the authority of Christ, obedient to his guidance by ingesting the scriptures, adjusting thinking to them, and staying in fellowship and seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit in unity with church and family. Because the cultural wind is blowing. And by the way, and I said it last week, you will experience persecution these days when walking with Christ. But remember, the Christian life isn't about our comfort. It's about the glory of Christ among all nations. It's about God's glory and God's mission. To focus ourselves on the Great Commission call in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, no matter the cost to us or our lives, right? So I leave you today with that word, focus, focus. It's not time for passivity, it's time to think. It's time to engage. It's, it's, time, uh, it's a time of engagement with Jesus, engagement with his word, engagement with the Holy Spirit, and to seek unity of message with the church in thought and practice. And moms and dads, raise up your children well. Use what Kim sends you. Teach your children well. Stay in fellowship with the church. Even when we feel so disconnected by this whole COVID-19 thing, let's, let's stay in fellowship in, in the best possible way that we can. And hopefully we'll be able to meet again soon. And we can even do that far, farther. But pursue Jesus in unity, unmolested by the cultural winds of our time. So let's end again by rereading our statement from the very beginning of the sermon today, which said, We affirm all men and women are uniquely created in the image of God with equal dignity and worth. God shows no partiality based on our ethnicity. Therefore, we vehemently deny any worldview that sinfully denigrates any language, tribe, nation, or people group in individual or collective value. This value is intrinsic to all of humanity and not based on whether one is a Christian or an American. Whew, that was a mouthful. Uh, I'm sure there might be questions. There might be some discussion we can have about this. If you want to do that, please get in contact with me. But I am praying for all of you. Pray for us today as we make some decisions and think through our coming year and how we're going to meet again. Uh, I, I will give you an encouraging word that leadership is spending some time as a group coming together. We've already done one meeting. We're going to do uh, one or two more in the next month uh, of coming together in my backyard usually and just praying for our church, praying for our future vision, praying for where we're going. And I am I feel like the Holy Spirit is is speaking to us and leading us. And I do feel like right now that I am I am giving getting I'm starting to click with something that's going on in me with where we're going as a church and, and, and in my role as a pastor. So just keep praying for me. I, I covet your prayers deeply. Uh, thank you, and God bless you guys. And you can stay on here and chat if you like, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Amen? Amen.